0: If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast
1: dash herbal oils. Hey you guys, this is Josh with Homesteading Family and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. This week, we're going to be talking about must-have beekeeping supplies for success. Now, as you can see, if you're listening in, you can't see, but as those of you that are here watching can see, Carolyn is not with me today. Carolyn and I are not bee experts. We have not even kept bees yet, but we're getting close to doing that in our journey. And uh, we've made a new friend with uh, Adam Martin of Beekept. And so he's joining me today, and he's going to give us some tips on things that you must have, along with some other tips, probably, as we talk it through, uh, in case you're thinking about starting to keep bees. Um, but first off, let's get to know Adam a little bit. So Adam and Leslie Martin are the owners of Bee Kept, located in Kulioka, Tennessee. Uh, Now, after failing miserably in their first season of beekeeping, they use those failures as opportunities to learn outside of the bee box methods. By season two, they changed their beekeeping method and mindset and utilized more natural and sustainable methods of beekeeping. This natural approach allows the bees to be bees. And that's something that is really interesting and exciting to me. The honeybees do the work of foraging, collecting pollen and nectar and producing that wonderful superfood that we all love, honey. The bees are not fed sugar water or treated for pests, especially varroa mites. The goal is strong, healthy colonies that can survive without much intervention. That is my kind of beekeeping. It sounds like it's good for the bees, it's better honey for us, and in the end it sounds like it's less work. So, I'll be excited to dive into that with you, Adam. But um, first of all, Carol and I usually like to do a little chit-chat and just see what's going on. And I know a lot of us have been dealing with uh, the cold this winter. And uh, how did that hit you guys down in Tennessee?
0: Yeah, so we just, uh, we're just just recovering from a, an ice-cold week like most everybody in America. Uh, we got down below zero, and that's not common for here. Um, this Ooh. is the second year in a row where we've had one of these polar vortex has come down here and, uh, it's, uh, it's been difficult, you know, the, the, when you've got, you know, when you've got lots of animals and livestock, we've got dairy cows and, you know, we've got all mm-hmm. kinds of things going on. Um, so just to go out in that weather, um, every day to milk and to, uh, bust up ice, to make sure your animals have got water. Um, and then to make sure your place is thawed out and that you're not, you know, you don't have frozen pipes and, um, you know things like that, and and then when you do have frozen pipes, trying to figure out how to thaw them out, and take a hot shower, and you know uh, melt ice, and just all those things, it's just nonstop. So, uh, but now we've got mud season, and about a forty-eight hour period, we went from you know sub sub freezing temperatures to fifty degrees and raining. It's supposed to rain an inch and a half tonight, and uh, we went from ice farmers to mud farmers. So you know it's exciting here in Middle <laughs> Tennessee, and uh, we'll figure it out. It's uh, it's the fun of homesteading and farming and and just doing the thing and and we love it and we enjoy it. We wouldn't rather be doing anything
1: else. Oh man, that's it. You know, it, it uh, homesteading does keep us a little closer to nature and and you never know what nature's going to throw at you, but it teaches us to adapt and roll with the punches. And I think that's good. I think that's a good thing. What about your bees, man? How did the how did the bees deal with that extreme cold?
0: Yeah, so we always are, um, you know, I, during the wintertime, you don't do much with honeybees. You, you just kind of leave them alone. Mm-hmm. Um, they go into a dormant state, um, kind of a semi-hibernation. Um, their focus is to keep the temperature of the cluster uh, inside of the, the hive where the queen is. They've got to keep it 64 degrees during the winter or else they're going to perish. And so they spend all their time and energy clustered up, getting into a tight ball, vibrating to keep that temperature up. And, you know, basically as a beekeeper, uh, what I'll do during the winter is commonly when it's cold is I'll go by and just listen to the entrance. You know, I may even knock on the door a little bit and see if I can hear them inside. And if I hear them, um, then I know that they're alive and they're doing fine and I'll just move on. But I normally do that on a fairly regular basis, uh, during the winter, just to check and make sure that they're doing okay. Okay. And so far, so good this winter. I haven't lost one colony. Um, I did lose one in the fall, but it was a, a really weak swarm catch that was very small going into the fall. And I kind of had a feeling they weren't going to make it. Um, but I, you know, I gave them a chance and uh, they didn't make it. But in general, um, every everybody's good. So even in these freezing temperatures, they're able to handle the obstacles, you know, they get thrown their way, even when we have adverse weather conditions and stuff like that. So.
1: Yeah, they know how to do their job. And I think especially in your methods where you're letting them pretty much be them and you're trying to replicate an environment that is similar, you know, I know not exact, but but similar, better insulated and whatnot that, you know, similar to what they'd have in nature. And I'm sure that helps them out. So tell me a minute, why, why did you get into beekeeping and homesteading? I mean, <clears throat> the, the whole thing, but particularly beekeeping.
0: Yeah, so we, you know, basically we made a conscious decision. Oh, it's been quite a long time ago now, it feels like a lifetime ago, but we kind of started eating healthier and cleaner. Um, we read Joel Salatin's book, Folks, This Ain't Normal. It was about the same time Food Inc. came out. And it just seems like, you know, a lot of people were starting to wake up to the fact that we're being fed food that doesn't make us healthy. And so we just kind of started changing some things and one of the very first things I did was I started putting honey in my coffee rather than white sugar.
1: Hmm. I'm a
0: candy bar coffee kind of guy and I've been like that since I started <laughs> drinking coffee. And then I've always loved honey. I've always eaten peanut butter and honey sandwiches and enjoyed honey. So um with that said, um that was one of the first things we we kind of started doing health healthy eating wise. Um and honey's expensive. So when we decided we were going to homestead and raise all our own food and and live as clean as we could, uh, bees were at the top of the list. We got chickens, we got a great Pyrenees dog to guard those chickens. And we ordered honeybees and, uh, because we wanted that honey and, you know, it's just, it's an expensive thing. And we just figured if we can raise it on our own property, why would we not do that? You know? And, you know, you, you can't, you can't really grow sugar cane. I mean, I guess you could grow sugar beets or, or do some things, but really, um, to have a, a creature as neat as a honeybee do their work and bring you literally go out and gather uh, nectar, bring it back, turn it into honey and, and do it right on your own property. It was just kind of a no brainer for us. So we, we just did it. We, I threw myself into it, head over heels, you know, um, and uh, we got into bees and it was really just for the honey. That's the reason why we started. And uh, I, I quickly fell in love with honeybees um, in general. I just, I realized just the beautiful, uh, intelligent design of honeybees. And it's just like your livestock, you know, I'm growing more and more attached to some of my cows. I, I milk every day. I put hands on my cows every day uh i've got my new favorite little calf her name's liberty and i scratch her face every morning and she absolutely loves it and you just start to develop that connection and i know this is going to sound really weird but with honeybees you start to do the same thing you you look at the colony uh, as one entity and and when you see a baby bee you know uh escaping out of a cell um and you see bees working and then you happen to see the queen one day if you're in there and you're looking and you see the queen um I don't know. There's just something about it. You know, I'll pick up bees off the ground, no problem. And, and, and stick them back in the hive if they've you know, fallen short or whatever. And, you know, if I'm out <clears throat> walking through Leslie's garden and there's a bee on the dandelion flower, I'll put my hand underneath it and I'll let it crawl up on my hand and, you know, look at it for a minute and it'll fly off. And I think that, you know, just getting past the, I guess the fear of, uh, of being stung, and then realizing that it's just a beautiful creature and at the end of the day it it uses its stinger for defense it's not out there to sting you and that's one of the biggest things that i i teach and preach and why i love teaching about bees is getting people beyond that um fear factor you know Mm -hmm. so to speak and uh i think it's totally natural for all of us to be a little bit afraid of any insect that's got a stinger can bite and and that's realistic and and legitimate but the honeybees um, are just awesome and if you don't do anything to harm them they're they're going to do nothing to harm you in general
1: yeah that is a cool story man i uh i think it's a it's, it's a good thing to take note of especially for those of you watching and listening that are new to homesteading just thinking about starting or just getting started I, I get a lot of people ask me all the time where do i start what do i start what do i do first how do i start and i think out of story here is really cool you know, Adam, you you, you you obviously you had some things that, that made a transition of a why. You know, you want to eat better. You want to eat healthier. And where'd you start? You start with something simple that you had a love for and you had a passion for and started making little changes. And then that turned into an action like you can start raising your own bees. And that's just a, a great example, I think, of a good approach to approaching the homesteading life, looking at what you're doing, the changes you're making. And then how do you take control of those little changes and uh, you know, start to turn it into that homestead life. Very, uh, very, very cool. Good way to go. Well, hey, let's get into some things about uh, equipment. Um, you know, for those looking to get into beekeeping, let's talk about some of the must-haves. And um, let's start with hives. Obviously, if you're gonna keep bees. You gotta have a hive. Uh, unless you're going to do, uh, like the bears out there and go find a hive and swipe the honey out of it. But, uh, I don't think very many of us are up for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so t- let's talk about hives and what you recommend and why.
0: Yeah. So, you know, this is definitely a big part of it is the, the, uh, the hive box. Um, I started out keeping bees in vertical hives, just like basically that's orthodox conventional beekeeping in the Western world and uh and then found out about horizontal hives and, and when i found out about them and i learned a little bit about them i realized it just made total sense to me um the hive style and and then the benefits to the beekeeper and the bees and so with the horizontal hive it is much easier on the beekeeper and i have found out through my experiences that it's much much easier on the bees and so that's why i recommend uh horizontal hives for the backyard beekeeper and even there are some conv- or, uh, sorry, there are some uh, commercial beekeepers that are now keeping bees in horizontal hives. Um, it's just a different way um, to manage the bees. But but at the end of the day, the house, the hive box that these bees are sitting in, uh, in a horizontal hive, it's got uh, one and a half to two inch sidewalls on it, um, compared to the vertical hives that have three eighths inch or five eighths inch um, sidewalls. And so when you think about that in a polar vortex, um, the insulating properties of something a lot thicker is going to be a lot better for those bees over the winter. And overwintering bees is the key to beekeeping, uh, successful beekeeping. If you can't get a colony through the winter, if they can't get themselves through the winter, then then you basically have nothing. So Mm -hmm. if you catch bees in, in, in swarm season on March 1st, you really don't have anything until about a year later. Uh, that next March 1st. And if those bees have survived that first winter, then now you've got something and you've got honey in there that you can start taking and you've got good resilient bees that are going to, that are going to overwinter and be fine. Um, but that, that hive box really does make a difference. Um, as far as the beekeeper, how it benefits the beekeeper is that it's less wear and tear on your body. Uh, I'm not getting any younger and I'm a backyard beekeeper, you know, you I'm neither. not a yeah. <laughs> None of us are, unfortunately, uh, you know, and you just, um, with the vertical hives, the the boxes themselves full of honey can weigh 40, 50, 60, 80 pounds. Um, and when you go to do a hive inspection, you've got to pull those boxes off and set them aside. And as a hive grows, you stack those boxes up vertically and you continue to grow. Well, it, it just real quick, it, it's, for me right now, and I feel like I'm in fairly decent shape at 50 years old, but, uh, I don't want to do it. I honestly don't. And I have done it and, uh, it's really hard on your body. So Hmm. when you go to the horizontal hive, the most you're ever lifting is one frame at a time and you're inspecting that frame and you're putting it back in. And so, you know, you're lifting maximum eight, 10 pounds possibly. Mm-hmm. which is awesome because that makes beekeeping available to a to a really large group of people. And I, you know, we basically say that anybody can keep bees. Um, I know that there's uh, veteran groups out there that, you know, probably disabled veterans that are able to get into bees through using horizontal hives because they, they're able to do it, you know?
1: Yeah, um, they don't have to move those boxes, those heavy boxes around and stack them up and unstack them to access the bees and check on them and harvest the honey and everything.
0: Yeah, I know guys that use ladders, you know, and they're, these are older retired guys getting in their 70s and 80s that are using ladders to go up and pull a 50-pound box of honey off of a hive. Wow. And, uh, I just, I, I see that as a recipe for disaster for me, for sure. Um, and I just feel like with horizontal hives, it's just much more accessible for the for the backyard beekeeper and the homesteader um, to handle bees in a horizontal hive versus a vertical hive.
1: Yeah, well, it makes sense to me. You've got me sold on that alone. I'm 52, got some some damage to my lower back, and yeah, and uh, I don't want to be throwing those around either, uh, moving that kind of weight any more than I have to. So I like that. That's a low barrier to entry. Um, let's talk about frames for a minute. I know you need frames. Any any particulars? Any minimum, maximum, and anything you know? In general, people need to know about frames.
0: Yeah, so that really is one of the first things that you've got to decide on is frame style. And, and really, there's two different frame styles. There's Langstroth. Actually, I take that back. There's a lot of frame styles out there. Uh, Man has been making removable frames, all kinds of different sizes all over the world for the last 200 years. Uh, but here in the Western world, there's really um, two main frame styles and that is Langstroth which is the American um Langstroth is the one that developed modern beekeeping in America in about the 1850s and then there's Lands George Lands was a Frenchman and he developed a removable frame in Europe in France in the 1850s about the same time frame and so the European style frame has been adopted in Europe and is used widely in Europe Um, And then the Langstroth style frame here in America is widely used in the Western world. Uh, But Langstroth is the one that developed the vertical boxes for the Langstroth frames. So the first thing you've got to decide is whether or not you're going to go with Langstroth or you're going to go with lands. Now you can go with Langstroth, the American frames, and you can put those in a horizontal hive. So you really are going to end up getting kind of the best of both worlds when it comes to the accessibility of the Langstroth frames, you can get them anywhere and everywhere—the local co-op, feed stores—you can get them online. They're really easy to get. Whereas the lands, being a more European style, um, are a little more, a little more difficult to get. Um, not quite as easy. Now, with the lands, and I go into I go into great detail on this, but to just put it very simply is I have found that the the frame style of lands more closely mimics how bees build comb in nature than does the langstroth. So when we're talking about horizontal hives, which I've already recommended and I, I highly recommend that people use horizontal hives. Um, if they use lands, I feel like that the the bees, I know for a fact that they're going to have um, a better time using those lands frames than they will the Langstroth frames but you can absolutely do it with Langstroth frames. Um, I also tell people if they've already got equipment or you know, everybody has got an uncle or somebody in their family or uh, a neighbor down the road that had bees and like, hey, they've got all this equipment and they want to give it to me. Great. Never say no to equipment. Take it. And nine times out of 10 or actually 99 times out of 100, it's probably going to be Langstroth frames. So great. Figure out, get some plans to build a a horizontal hive made for Langstroth frames. Put those frames in there and you're good to go. Build a trap for those frames and uh, you just got a sweet deal. Um, And then one last note on the lay-ins frames is that they're very simple to make um, with with rudimentary tools. Um, You could actually make the frames yourself. Whereas the Langstroth, the Western American style, are not easy to make. You almost need a CNC machine um, you need some you need some pretty high tech tools to make those frames.
1: Yeah, OK, so what is it about the lands? I wish those guys would have picked some different last names, but uh, <laughs> at least one, one of them. <laughs> <huh>? <laughs> yeah. Uh For well, for somebody new getting used to the terminology. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the lands you're saying is uh, you feel mimics the natural, you know, honeycomb, the way they, the way the bees build a honeycomb. Can you, can you tell us a little bit, like, what is it about the lands that that is, you feel, is a little more natural?
0: Yeah, I can. Um, to put it simply, that when, when bees build comb, like inside of a hollowed out tree, that's intelligent design. So I always go back to the tree and, and God's design. When they start building, they start at the top of that hollowed out, you know, hole in the tree. And they start drawing combs and they draw them straight down with gravity. And if you think about that hollowed out tree, you know, they're, they're usually skinny. That void is not going to be super wide um, mm-hmm. for the most part. And so I have found bees in trees. I actually did a cutout on a tree and I have some awesome pictures and video of that. Um, but the the combs were, were probably, I'd say, 10 to 12 inches wide but they were like three feet long. And so the Hmm. bees were building with gravity. They continued to build down as they needed comb. And then what they, what they do naturally is they start storing their honey across the top of the, the comb. And then underneath it is where they have their brood nest. And that's where the baby bees, the queen hang out. And that way, when they go into winter, they will move up into the honey that's right above them. And that's what they'll feed on for the winter. So with langstroth frames, those frames are actually 19 inches inches wide. Uh, they're a lot wider than the lens frames. I don't the, the measurement is about 14 inches, I believe. Um, so the lands frame is actually skinnier, which close more closely mimics what's happening in, in intelligent design. And then also the lens frame is longer. I think it's it's 16 inches whereas the Langstroth deep frame is only about 10 inches. Okay. So that, that frame style is is a lot closer to what bees are doing in a tree. And then, you know, I let people know, I've got tons of pictures as well. Um, when the bees build their combs, their brood combs um, on those lands frames, they do put about a four to five inch honey rainbow over the top of the brood nest. And that honey rainbow right there is enough for that the bees on that frame to survive the winter. And so, whereas when you've got the Langstroth frame, that's wide and and shallow, they'll put honey in the corners, but they don't have that honey rainbow over the top. Ah. Yeah. So what they actually have to do, and they do do this is they actually, they actually move out to honey. They'll go get honey and bring it back to the nest. So on those warm days, they'll actually come go get honey in the frame or in the box. And bring it back to the brood nest and feed everybody or pack it in the cells. So it's almost like instead of going out and foraging in the wintertime, they know they've got to stay inside. But if we have a nice 50, 60 degree day, they're going to be working inside of that hive. And if they know they're getting low on stores, they'll go get that honey and bring it back. Or the bees will actually kind of move over to that honey.
1: Yeah. Interesting. That's a, I mean, that's a somewhat subtle difference, but that makes a big difference in the energy consumption and movement of the bee during winter. I mean, you know, we're both familiar with permaculture and we're always trying to lessen, right, our, our movement from point A to point B and consolidate our efforts. You, you consume less time and energy. And so um, what you're saying about those lands, those bees have more food right there naturally where they're at. And they're not having to leave their comb. Uh, that they're responsible for and move around as much to get heat, which means they're going to stay gathered up, right? And keep their, even their heat um, centralized. They start breaking up, moving around. They're going to lose a little bit more heat besides having using more energy. That is, that's, that's fascinating to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, really it is all about making them, you know, because we're stewards of the bees, we're stewards Mm -hmm. of the cows, we're stewards of all of this. So you know, how do I make them as efficient as possible, you know, to improve that survivability rate over the winter time and just give them the the, the best possible scenario that they can have, you know, while they're in my care. And, yeah. and I'm trying to get as close to that hollowed out tree as I can and, and do my best. And I really believe the closer that we get to it and the more simple that we keep things, the better off it's going to be for the bees. I
1: like it. Okay. So we got a bit of list, so let's keep going. Feeders. Um, do you do you need feeders for your system? Why or why not? So
0: I say no. And the reason is because I don't feed bees sugar water and I, I won't do it. Um, I refuse to do it. If, Good if for my, you. <laughs> if, uh, you know, the people like me that are in the natural, regenerative, sustainable beekeeping uh, world, uh, we absolutely believe that if, if bees cannot take care of themselves, then those are not bees that, that I want to have. And we believe that if you prop up bees with treatments and with feed, that you're actually doing a disservice to bees and they're getting weaker and weaker and weaker over time. And so, you know, we, we believe, I absolutely believe that beekeepers are the biggest problem for honeybees. And I know I'm going to hear some beekeepers that are not going to be happy about what I just said. Uh, but I really believe that this is our earth to steward. These are our bees to steward and I think that we've done a poor job of it. Um, and so when it comes to feeding, you know, you can, you can get a feeder if it gives you some peace of mind or whatever, and have it ready to go for some scenario that you come up with. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, if it was an emergency, I could see, you know, taking a spoonful of honey and sticking it through the front door of the hive, you know, in the middle of, you know, winter, if I thought that they were running short or something like that, there's, there's all kinds of other things you can do. You can store, once you get established, you can store some honey frames in the freezer and have them ready to go for a colony that you thought they were just barely going to make it or something, you know? Um, so there's, there's other things you can do besides feeding them sugar water. And I, I believe that the exact opposite happens. When you try to help bees with sugar water, you're actually hurting them and you're yeah. driving down their immunity. And uh, it's the same thing with us. You know, if you are not feeling well, I would not give you a big, huge uh, glass of Tang, even though it's got vitamin C in it, and let you shotgun that because I don't think it would help your your cold and your immune system. You know,
1: yeah. here you go. Have a Coca Cola when you're <laughs> yeah. sweating and coughing, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> makes makes complete sense. Uh, to me, it's a no brainer. Um, but you know, it's a little easier for somebody like me coming at it fresh. I think um, uh, to see see some of that and accept it. Uh, Let's see here. Let's talk about some other supplies, a bee suit. Um, You know, seems like you'd want a bee suit. Is this uh, necessary or luxury or how does that fit in for you?
0: Yeah. So uh, as a mentor, I would absolutely tell someone uh, that you want to get a jacket veil combination. Um, I would tell somebody in any type of a, a mild climate to get a ventilated jacket because it gets extremely hot during the summer inside of that thing. Uh, But for new beekeepers, and I totally, I I believe this, you know, that that they should start out with a full jacket that has a veil attached to it. Um, And they should also have gloves. They should wear at the very minimum latex gloves. And I really like latex gloves because you have some dexterity. You'll feel a honeybee underneath your finger when you're touching a frame and you won't smash it. If you've got thick leather gloves on, which is what is commonly sold to new beekeepers um, you know, it adds a lot of protection, but you can't feel bees underneath your fingers. And as soon as you start to smash or squish or pinch bees, they put off an alert pheromone and other bees get agitated. And next thing you know, you're not having a very fun experience and neither are the bees, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's pretty, uh, it gets to you a little bit when you hear bees, you know, buzzing and, and hitting your veil and they're trying to get to you because you have offended them. Um, so, you know, the, the, the latex gloves really do help with that type of protection. That's what I would say to do. Um, but if you want to get leather gloves and, and start like that, you totally can.
1: The latex gloves is that, I mean, why wouldn't people use those? Are those not sting proof? Is that the main reason? Or, I mean, it seems like if that gives you better dexterity and control, um, and going to help you not smash the bees, that seems like the way to go
0: yeah it uh i think it is absolutely the way to go um they're easy to find and easy to get unless you have a latex allergy and then you can find i think nitrile or some of the other gloves that they have out there uh but the bees won't actually sting you through those gloves believe it or not Um, they 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 don't sting through those things so they really do work well and uh i mean if you smash a bee maybe and you rammed that stinger into your finger maybe it would go through the latex but in general, when I've used them and when I've seen other people use them, there has been no issues with that. So yeah. I would highly recommend the latex gloves.
1: Okay. So you mentioned a jacket, gloves, and a veil. What, what about pants and boots or anything? Anything special you need to it, do there? It's totally up to
0: you. Uh, you know, you can dress up like the Michelin man and and you can duct tape everything <laughs> shut. You know, I want, I want people to be comfortable. So if you feel like you should be dressed head to toe and you want to put some boots on and duct tape the bottoms, I've got friends that that's what they do, and, and that's totally fine. I'm totally good with it. I do know that the longer that you keep bees, the more that you're going to be comfortable with the bees, and, and you're going to learn how to be really smooth and careful. And, you know, you, you want to take care of the bees. You You know what to do to not hurt them and to not offend them. And so you can start out with all of that stuff. You can get the pants and the boots and the jacket and the veil. Um, but you'll get, you might get to a point like me where, and it's probably out of laziness sort of, but I just, I don't like wearing stuff and it gets hot and humid here in, in Tennessee. And so most of the time I will keep bees with my hat and my glasses on and that's it because I don't want to get stung in the face, um, or in the eye. Um, And, you know, I've got enough experience now and I'm comfortable enough now to where I'm confident that that I'm not going to have any issues.
1: Okay. All right. Well, let's see. You're also going to need a smoker. Any, Any anything people should know about buying the right smoker, quality smoker and what else to get with it? So I definitely have an opinion on
0: this, just like everything nah. else. Uh, yeah, I know. it. Uh, made in the USA, that's all I can say. Uh, Dayton is a great company, American company. They've been making smokers for I probably since smokers were invented. I mean, 150 years or something. Um, you can also go online. I, I buy smokers off of eBay or I'll find them in an antique store or at a yard sale. Um, a good Made in the USA smoker, even used, is probably going to cost you $35. $40. But if you go to Tractor Spy, you're going to spend the same that same type of money for something made in China. Um, and it's not going to work as good. I, I've already, I started out with one of those because I'm kind of thrifty and uh, I didn't like it at all. And, and it did not work near as good as the made in the USA ones. So even if you bought a hundred year old smoker off of eBay, uh, as long as it's functioning, I think that you'd be good to go with that. So made in the USA.
1: Nice. So I've got a hive tool on my list. What is a hive tool for?
0: So a hive tool's got a lot of functions and it's definitely essential. Uh, if I don't have one in my hand, I've always got a pocket knife and so I can get by with a pocket knife for a second, but the, the hive tool really does help a lot. Um, it's usually got a sharp edge on both ends or at least on one end. And you can use that to scrape. You can use it to stick between the frames. Um, the bees, they propolize everything and propolis is bee glue and that bee glue gets hard. And so sometimes it's hard to get frames to, to break loose because they're stuck together. Mm -hmm. Um, or you've got cover boards or something that are stuck to the top. Um, the bees glue everything shut to keep out pests and, and to, uh, to keep it nice and sealed and a nice sterile environment, healthy environment for them. Um, and so that hive tool is really essential. Um. The one that I have that we sell, uh, I've, I really like it a lot. It has a J hook on it and then it has a flat bar at the end of it. And I use that J hook a lot to to pry up on a frame if it's really stuck. Um, so I, it's the Hive tool is definitely essential. Um, I don't have an opinion as far as like, you know, which one to get. I would say just pick the one that you think looks like something you'd use and, and do it, you know, do it that way.
1: Cool. Uh, you guys that are watching and listening, we'll get you uh, a link to the blog post page and we'll get you some resources on that blog post page to help you. You don't have to go searching around everywhere. We'll try to collect them for you in one spot if you want to go check those out. Um, This is one I didn't, I don't know anything about. I hadn't even heard about it. It's a bee brush. Um, yeah. A I've, got bee brush?
0: Got, I've got an opinion on that too. Uh <laughs> You're- I'm telling you, you know, growing up in California, they talked about, we learned gold rush history and they yeah. talked about the people that made, you know, a million dollars during the gold rush were the people selling shovels. Right. Uh, I'm of the opinion in the bee industry that there's a lot of people making millions of dollars on things that you probably don't need. <laughs> and a bee brush might very well be one of those. Uh, we, I can't remember where I heard it, but we joke about it that it's called the bee agitator. And so if you want to get your bees super upset, then pull that brush out and start brushing those bees off of a frame and and you'll find out what, what upset and offended bees are like. So, you know, I don't know why, you know, people use it and they'll, they'll use it to brush bees off of a frame. Like if you were going to pull a honey frame and you had bees that were all over that honey frame, you know, and you wanted to pull it to extract it, um, then you could use that bee brush basically to brush those bees off. Uh, that's the main reason to use it. I literally, if you, so bees have 100 times our sense of smell and I don't use gloves. Um, so a lot of times I can literally just put my hand or put my fingers anywhere near the bees. If I want them to move and they will get away from my fingers, they'll smell, they'll smell me and they'll get away from me. Um, another thing that you can do, and I suggest that you have a veil on anytime you do this Um, I do it without a veil on because I'm crazy, uh, but you can move bees out of the way by blowing on them with your breath, because again, they have a hundred times our sense of smell. So if I wanted to get bees to move, I could just blow on a frame and get them to move and even fly away. Um, so the, the bee brush to me is not an essential tool. If you want to get one and have it in the, in the tool bag for just in case you think you might need it for something, that's totally fine. But, uh, I don't. I don't recommend it in one way or another. Hmm.
1: What about a, and I know, I, I know probably the first response, but what about using the smoker to move the bees off of the comb? Yeah. And, that's, and, I, is, and is smoked honey, a thing.
0: <laughs> smoked honey is definitely a thing. If you smoke too much, uh, you'll definitely get some smoky flavors in your honey, which is pretty funny. I, I've had that happen. Um, you know, capped honey has a wax cap literally over Mm. the honey. And so it's protected. Uh, but if you were blowing a smoker and let's say there was a lot of ash coming out of that smoker, Mm. then that ash could get into your box and definitely give a smoky, uh, smoky flavor to your honey. If you were to extract it and that was to get into your honey, um, you might taste a little bit of that ash. So I would think about that. Um, you know, when you're, you don't want to over smoke really But basically back to your point is I absolutely use my smoker to move bees off of a frame, especially if I'm pulling honey frames and I'm walking to an ice chest to put those frames in and lock it down to keep the bees from coming and stealing all my honey. I will smoke that frame as I'm walking over there. I'll open up the box, stick it in there, close the box, and then head back to get another frame. Mm -hmm. So, um, the smoker is, is the smoker is absolutely essential. You've got to have a smoker. You have to have it going when you're when you're beekeeping, period. And then even if you don't use it, I promise you, you want to have it going. Because if you don't like that smoker and you get into bees and all of a sudden you need that smoker, it will be the hardest thing in the world to light. I guarantee it. So I've learned this from experience.
1: Yep. Man, I got a lot of questions. My, my questions, the wheels are turning <laughs> my mind. But we need to get through uh my supplies list here. So, uh queen catcher. I mean, kind of self-explanatory what it is, but why why do you or don't you use it?
0: Yeah, it's more for I would say it's more for advanced beekeeping. You can have a uh they call it a queen clip. Um there again, there's a few different things that you can get a queen into. Um somebody's making a million dollars on those things. Um I don't with natural sustainable regenerative beekeeping if I see a queen, I carefully put the frame back in and I don't mess with my queens at all. I don't touch them. I leave them alone. Um, so it's really, I would say it's more for advanced beekeeping than it is for um, the backyard beekeeper and the homesteader that's just wanting to catch bees and keep them and, and not mess with them. You know, So I, I think it's another one of those things. If you want to buy one, they're really cheap and you could have it in the toolbox um, just in case. Uh, but I don't, uh, it's not something that I believe is essential to have.
1: Got it. Okay. Makes sense to me. Um, capping scratcher. What is that?
0: Yeah. So there's a, you know, there's a multitude of tools out there that used to use a hot knife. And basically what you're doing, remember I talked about that cat, that wax cap that's over the cell that the honey's mm. in. Mm-hmm. Well, literally honey's dehydrated and it's really thick and believe it or not. When you, you you have to remove that wax cap to get that honey to come out. Um, so the scraper, basically, what you're doing is you're scarifying the wax caps on the frame before you put it in an extractor, and it gives that honey, you know, through the through the force of the cent, you know centrifugal force of the spinner, mm-hmm. that honey will blow out of that cap. And so there's scrapers, there's hot knives, um, there's a roller and I don't, I, I've got the roller and I don't like it at all. It doesn't work for me. So I do use the, the scratcher that you're talking about. And basically it looks like a, a fork, a uh, plastic handle, and it's got a lot of tines on it. They're super sharp at the end. Don't stick it in your hand. It really hurts. Um, <laughs> if you do put some honey on it and it'll feel better. Uh, I know that from experience too, uh, but it, it works pretty well. So that, that scraper or scratcher, um, I don't have a hot knife and I've never used one. That's kind of a an old school way to do it. They make electric hot knives or you could use a, a knife. And basically the premise of that is you would take that hot knife and wax has a really low melting temperature. So you take that hot knife and you just basically cut across the cells to open them up and you mm-hmm. cut all the wax cappings off of the cells and then boom, it's ready to to spin that frame out.
1: Okay. Well, let's see here. We've not talked about one, a couple things, but one key element, that is the bees. Uh, Where should people go to get their bees?
0: Yeah, so free bees, feral bees are the best bees. And I learned this uh, in my first couple of months of beekeeping. Uh, I know it sounds, it's going to sound to a lot of people like uh, it's pretty wild to trap a swarm of bees. But it's actually super easy. I I can't believe how easy it is. And I have caught bees for multiple people now. Um, I've helped people get set up and they've caught bees. It's literally put a box in a tree, bait it, and wait. And and you've got about a 50 to 60% success rate. Uh, And then, you know, that trap that you either built or you bought, you can reuse it. You could reuse it multiple times during the swarm season. And then you could use it next year. And, and that's really the, the sustainable um, part of, of what I do and what I teach and preach is swarm trapping um, rather than buying bees. Um, the second part of that is that you're actually getting a better bee by trapping uh, a feral swarm. You're getting a set of bees that have just overwintered successfully. So you know right off the bat that you just got something that, that overwintered possibly out in the wild in a tree. These are survivor bees. They know how to go out and get nectar and pollen. They know how to cluster up and survive the winter. So in my, in my mind, you're getting a better bee right there. You can't buy those bees.
1: Um, well, you're not, and, so you're not even paying for them. I mean, you know, you, you're going to need some supplies to catch them, but you're not buying them. Right. And, and, and they're a better, stronger bee. Yeah. So, you
0: know, you're going to put in some work and you're going to either build or or buy a swarm trap. But like I said, it's something that that, that's reusable. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: So if that's not something that you feel comfortable doing or you want to do, the next thing that I would suggest is that you buy bees from somebody like me. Um, Somebody that catches feral swarms, somebody that does not feed and does not treat uh, and you buy a feral swarm um so that would be the next best thing in my opinion
1: how do you find somebody like that
0: uh so i would say the best place i mean really and i'm going to start pr- really promoting the local b club from here on out I've, I've actually gotten involved with my local b club and uh it's the best place to go really to start gleaning some of this information and a lot of what what is taught at the b club is awesome and you can pull nuggets out of it. Now, they normally at the bee club, they're going to do everything the conventional way, which is not the way that I'm, I'm teaching and preaching. But at the end of the day, they're still keeping bees. They've got a lot of experience doing it. And then if you just start to ask some questions um, based on what you've learned from me and from natural sustainable beekeeping, you're going to find somebody in that group, I guarantee it, that's going to be open to talking to you and, and maybe somebody that's already doing exactly the same thing. And they right there, they may say, and, and I had this happen here locally, um, that they've been keeping bees for 30 years and that they've never fed or, or treated just because they didn't want to. And maybe they're keeping them in vertical hives. Maybe they're not doing the horizontal hive thing. But you know right then and there that those are bees that are good bees they're not fed, they're not treated. And, uh, and then they may tell you right then and there, yeah, I just, I don't split my hives. I just catch my own swarms. And so now the the lights should be going off for you that, that this is somebody I need to have as my mentor locally. Uh, and that this is the person that I need to get bees from. So if you find that person, you really have found gold. Um, the other thing I would say to do is, you know, you can jump on Facebook and there's a ton of uh, groups on there, natural you know, beekeeping groups, um, horizontal hive beekeeping groups, lands beekeeping groups. And you can just pop on there and just start asking the questions and say, I live in Timbuktu, Idaho. Is there anybody near me that's keeping bees? <laughs> and, uh, and see what they say, you know. And then right there, um, the World Wide Web, is, it can be uh, good for some things. And so you can jump on there and, and maybe find somebody that's closer to you. Um, so that would, that would nice. be, that would be how I'd do it.
1: Nice. I'm further out than even Timbuktu, Idaho. <laughs> yeah. area,
0: Nowhere, know. Idaho.
1: <laughs> I've seen one or two bees on my property, man. That's uh, good. That's it. That's it. We're, we're fairly isolated. And, uh, I'm going to talk to you about that off the air a little bit, but, um, well, good. That, that is some good information. One last thing we haven't covered, and it's not on my list, but that is uh, harvesting the honey supplies. And I mean, most of us that are going to do this do want to harvest the honey. And um, so I don't have a list here. What are some of the key things for your, your way of doing things uh, that we're going to need to harvest that honey? I'm glad you asked. I was actually uh, ahead of
0: you on that one. I was, I was hoping <laughs> you were going to ask me that. Good. Um, so yeah, we, when we go back to the frame style, that's kind of one of the first things we've got to think about is, is what frame we're going to be using. Um, and the reason is, is because lands, which is that European style frame I talked about, which is how I prefer to keep bees, even though I have both. Um, I think that the bees do better in there, but lands extractors are a little harder to come by. Um, you can find them, uh, horizontalhives.com specifically. Um, I know that they sell the lands extractors and the beautiful thing about that extractor is you could also put Langstroth frames in that extractor and extract, you know, that way. Um, there's all kinds of different extractors from two frame hand crank manual extractors to, you know, big fancy, Put 32 frames in it and, uh, you know, electric motor and, and cost a lot of money, um, and extract that way. Um, but then, you know, beyond that, there's, um, you can actually press if you're doing a comb that you can remove, you could actually put it in a press, like a fruit press, and you can actually press the honey out of the, the comb that way. Okay. Um, and just, you know, have it drain off. And I've done that. And that's actually, uh, pretty neat way to get a lot of um, the pollen like microscopic pollen inside of your honey and and that is beneficial for allergies and that sort of thing so the 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 press is is a pretty cool way to go and then if you really are on a budget and you really don't want to do any of those things you could actually just get cheesecloth and put some honeycomb in that cheesecloth crush it up in your hand and let it drain through that cheese, cheesecloth into a, uh, you know, Mason jar or the container that you're going to use. Um, so there's, there's, there's kind of all kinds of different ways out there. Um, I think most people are probably going to go buy a, an extractor, maybe just a two frame mm-hmm. hand crank to start with. Um, you know, something like that. And if you're just backyard beekeeping for you and your homestead and you're just going to have two or three or four hives, um, I, I think that that would be a, a wise investment up front is to, to get a decent extractor. So,
1: so pretty much it's the extractor and your containers to put your honey in. Is that core of it? Pretty
0: close. Yeah. You can also, you know, you can get, um, they actually make some specific gates that you can drill a hole in a gamma seal bucket at the bottom, like a five gallon bucket. And so the gate is a, just a lid, you know, with a, mm-hmm. a almost like a spout. Um, and so you could have that underneath your extractor so that when you fill up the extractor with honey, you can drain it into a five gallon bucket, you know, God willing, you've got five gallons of honey that you're extracting. Um, so that's another item that you could have, you know, um, you could just pour straight out of the extractor into gallon jugs or, or whatever container you want, um, and not have that bucket. So it's not, not necessarily essential. Um, another thing that you can do, um, is if you're going to go into the bucket, you can also buy sieves and those are basically a, a screen. And that way you can make sure you don't get any wax cappings or anything like that inside of your honey. You can get really clean honey that way. So it's basically a filter. You're filtering your honey. Um, Make sure you don't get any bee legs or anything like that in there.
1: Cool. Um, How many frames in a horizontal hive and about how much honey would you expect to get in one extraction or one season from one horizontal hive? How many frames in there on average? I know probably depending on the season, there's some fluctuations, but but say you can hold X amount of frames and extract those. What does that look like? How many frames are you working with and about how much honey, what's the range you can expect? So
0: the Langstroth long horizontal hives, um, they hold 31 deep frames, Langstroth frames, and... Um, I have had some of my colonies get that big and when they're that big, they, they can produce a massive amount of honey. Um, a massive amount of honey to me would be about a hundred pounds and that would be for a season, you know, after, um, after they've been established for a year.
1: That's so out of one cool. hive. That's one horizontal hive. Correct. Okay. Correct. Um, what's a hundred pounds look like at volume? Most of us yeah. think, think in volume. What does that look like in volume?
0: So a quart of honey is two point seven pounds. So one hundred pounds would be thirty five quarts. Yeah. So divided by four, you'd have what eight gallons?
1: Yeah, somewhere around there.
0: Yeah, I'm just doing some rough math, but yeah, I mean, and that would be that would be exceptional for sure. A hundred pounds, and that would be you know you managing it well and staying ahead of them and making sure that they're, they're good to go. And, and it's possible. It's entirely possible. Um, yeah. and then I would say with the lands, the, the hives that I build, um, are 17 frame. Uh, you can go bigger, you can go smaller. I've got some 14 frame lands. And then I think, yeah, I do have a 20 frame that a buddy of mine built for me. And, um, you can go, you know, you, the kind of the sky's the limit. Um, but there does come a point where it's just like, you know, you're never going to have a colony that big basically. So there's not really a reason to do 25 or 30 lands frames, you know? Yeah. Um, So the 17 frame lands is kind of the sweet spot that we found. We feel like it's kind of the right size for, for just a big uh, thriving, you know, colony of bees. Um, If I was going to build one bigger, I'd probably go to 20 and, and call it good right there. I probably wouldn't go any bigger than that. Okay. Um, and then the honey production would be the the same. It would be, uh, you know, if we, if I had a massive, uh, colony of bees that completely filled out a 17 frame lands, I could see possibly taking a hundred pounds of honey off of them after they've been established for
1: a year. So, okay. Very cool, man. This is some good information. It's, it's helping me along in my thoughts and hopefully some of y'all listening or watching, Um, Before we go, let's talk about some resources for people. Um, First off, is there a place to go? Is there any kind of, do you recommend any kind of starter kit where you can just kind of go get pretty much the essentials of what you need to get going, order it? Do you have any recommendations for that? I mean, is there? You can start at our website,
0: bcap.com, and we do have a starter kit. and then we have lots of other things um, outside of the starter kit that you can also buy um, to go with the starter kit. So it's expandable. Um, but basically, um, you know, we do a swarm trap, a hive tool. Uh, and we put the lures in the swarm trap that you're going to need to fill up with lemongrass essential oil for your bait. Uh, what else do we put in there? Um, we've we've just basically got the essentials to to Mm -hmm. basically put up a trap and, and get going just like that. And that just kind of gets your foot in the door. If you don't have a trap up, you're definitely not going to trap honeybees, Uh, you know, and then the sky's the limit from there, you know? So we're, we're shipping those um, starter kits out uh, on a pretty regular basis right now. And um, yeah, I would say that's a a great place to start. Um, And then really you've, you know, everybody's got to figure out which frame that's, that's really the beginning point. Which frame am I going to go with? Which frame am I going to start with? And then from there they can just, you know, they can, they can get going from there. So,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. I know for me, it's, it's the lands being in North Idaho. I like the idea of the honey rainbow and that whole, that just resonates with me. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I'm going to be taking your recommendation on that. Um, give me a book or two, your favorite books. So I'm actually writing a book right now. Uh, yeah, I know
0: yet. it. That will excited. Be I'm excited
1: to, excited to see that will, it.
0: That will be your favorite book soon. But uh, the book <laughs> that I read, the book that I read that it just confirmed everything that I was doing was Keeping Bees with a Smile by Fedor Lutsutin. And, uh, Dr. Leo Sworshkin, who's a very big proponent of natural sustainable beekeeping and the horizontal hives and has really brought it to the forefront here in in America. He translated this book for Fedor Lutsutin. So the book uh, Fedor is a Russian and he wrote the book about his experiences and his beekeeping from the standpoint of somebody that lives in northern Russia. And so, you know, he basically he used land style frames and land style hives primarily to do his beekeeping and, and didn't do any feeding, didn't do any treating. Um, and he had great success with it and just really um, just lays down the, the, the argument for why we're doing what we're doing and how successful it can be. And it's an enjoyable book to read. It, it's, it's not, it's not a, a science book. It's not really hard to understand. Um, so I highly recommend that one Keeping Bees with a Smile by Dr or by Fedor Latson and we do have that in our store if you want to if you want to get it there. Um, also uh, Honeybee Democracy uh, with Thomas Seely's the author of that. He basically wrote the book and it's a recent book. It's it hasn't been out for eh, it's probably been out for 20 30 years now but um, he basically wrote the book on he studied at Cornell University and he studied Bees in nature, and so his information has become uh, essential for people that are swarm catching and swarm trapping, um, because he really studied bees in nature and, and in trees and how they operate and what they're looking for, and so um, his information can be summed up on one page, and uh, it's it's simple information, but his entire book, Honeybee Democracy, is a it's a very heady. Uh, science-based, uh, book. And so if that's what you're into, if you're, if you want to get into the weeds and into the details on, on why bees do what they do, uh, that's an excellent one. And then there's a couple of, uh, good online resources where some, some beekeepers have basically published, um, everything they've written, uh, Michael Bush with Bush Farms. He is a big pro- proponent of small cell. Um, bees, which is basically allowing the bees to build their own natural comb. Um, the bees become smaller over time and that's actually beneficial to the bees for resisting varroa mites. Um, his information will be somewhat heady, but, uh, his breakthroughs have really been on studying. Uh, he has one essay or one, one article called bee math, and he was able to really lay down how long it takes a bee to hatch out how long it takes a queen to hatch out and, and, and some of those things. And those can become very critical for the beekeeper when you are, when you're realizing what's going on in that hive and you want, you're wanting to pay attention and and see what's going, you know, it it just really helps his information really helps. And then the last one I've got is Kirk Webster, um, kirkwebster.com and he is a commercial beekeeper uh, up in Vermont which is a difficult place to keep bees. And he is a uh, feed-free, treatment-free commercial beekeeper. So there'd be lots of information there. Again, he has everything written out on his website, articles. And so his information and Michael Bush's information is free right there online. Um, I know Michael Bush put his into a book that you could buy the book if you wanted to have it all inside a a cover, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their their information is great information if you want to get into the weeds. Um, my book that I'm hoping is going to come out here pretty soon. I'm just about got it wrapped up. Uh, you know, it's really going to be, it's really going to be geared towards the homesteader. And that's why I'm super excited about it. I'm super excited about what y'all are doing. Um, that, you know, this is what I've done, you know, I'm a homesteader. And so I, I know the struggles of a homestead and I know what we're all striving to do and, and that we're, we're trying to have less inputs. And so I really, I know my book is going to speak to homesteaders specifically, um, because that's what we do and that's why we do what we do. And so, uh, it's going to be lots of funny stories. I'm going to have lots of, you know, some, some, some good, simple information in there. Um, I'm all about letting the bees be bees and, and I believe that the bees know how to be bees better than we know how to be bees. And so. Uh, I'm, I'm going to teach and preach all day long that if we can just get out of the way and let them do what God designed them to do, that they will be just fine. And uh, if we can have a, a mutually beneficial relationship with them and get some honey out of the deal, I think it's a win-win.
1: Right on. I do too. And um, as we're closing here, let people know where can people connect with you? Where, where do you want people to go to connect with you? What are the different avenues to engage? So we've got the website,
0: be Um, we've got Facebook and Instagram and my wife is, uh, she's, she's really enjoying the, the creative side of, of doing that. So she makes posts that are great all the time, get people thinking, and just, we've got a lot of cool videos and pictures and we're just constantly creating, you know, um, that's one of the things, just circling back to the beginning, uh, I didn't realize when I started doing this, when, I, when we ordered our first packages, my whole thought process was honey. Uh, but when I got into it, I just, I fell in love with the bees. I honestly did. And so, you know, we just, we love what we're doing um, and we just love sharing it with everybody. So, you know, Instagram, Facebook, our website, and uh, we just, uh, we'd love to hear from y'all. Uh, we've also got an online um, remote mentorship program that we started because there's not that many mentors out there um, teaching what I'm teaching. And so it's very important to get a mentor. And even if, you know, if, even if you can get somebody locally that's not going to do bees exactly like you, that's great. But we've set up an online uh, mentorship program and we have a, a monthly bee club meeting. And then, uh, people that are in the membership, they're able to text me, call me, email me about any questions, any issues that they have with their own bees. Um, and just basically, you know, have access to me all the time as far as bees go, because things come up, you know, when you're a beekeeper and you want to bounce it off of somebody. And, um, so I'm just right there, ready to go if, if anybody calls me and, and has a question. So, um, you can check that out on our website. Um, I think that's, I think that covered it.
1: Cool well almost you've got uh, Bcap boot camp so if you guys want to take classes online you can go check them out I assume that's at uh, your website adam bcap.com yeah
0: yeah that's really one of the biggest things we do do thank you for bringing that up um, swarm season starts about March 1st uh, here in middle Tennessee and that mm-hmm. is when we start our boot camps and then we start our weekly classes. We do homeschool classes, classes for church groups, um, families, individuals. Um, so we've got a whole schedule there online at bekep.com. And then the boot camps are usually on Saturdays. Um, we do about a five-hour hands-on. Uh, I teach you everything I do from A to Z, and we get into the Bs. You get you get your hands on Bs, and, and I get you over that fear factor, and we just have a ton of fun and uh and you walk away very confident and ready to get after it and uh it's it's a good time so if you're anywhere near here uh from march till probably june july uh, we'll be having those boot camps and then we'll take a little break for the summer um when it's too hot and the bees are are not super happy uh when it's super hot and they have nothing to eat but then we'll get back to it probably about september october um we'll have about another 8 weeks of boot
1: camps so very cool well, and if you can't make it to an in-person class, we teamed up with Adam at the School of Traditional Skills, and he's got a great class there as well that takes you through the whole journey uh, if you want to do the online experience. So a lot of places to connect and learn. I want you guys to go check out Adam and and what he's doing. Um, it's He's who I'm going to be following for the next few years as I enter my B journey. And um, so we'll all look forward to growing together. Um That's it for today, you guys. We're out of time. This has been a great session. Adam, so cool hanging out with you. Thanks for coming and sharing your knowledge and your perspective with us. Really appreciate you. And uh, everybody else, we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.